Welcome to Our Plant Stories. It's a podcast that shares personal stories about plants. I think many of us know how important they can be. They can trigger memories like Lynn's Peony in episode one, or remind us of home like Anya's Mint in episode four. The plants in this week's story also hold very special meaning, and Hannah chose them to keep her mum close by her every day. Um, not all of the tattooists who have tattooed me liked what they were tattooing on me, that's fine. I think um, there's a stereotype to tattooists and I have definitely met some of them who were like, you want flowers. When the idea for this podcast was just notes on my phone, I wrote down plant tattoos. When I see them, I often find myself wondering why someone chose a rose or a daisy. I got the chance to ask that question when I was doing a wreath-making course and saw that the florist teaching us had the most beautiful flower tattoos. The conversation that followed has led to many lovely conversations with Hannah Trott, a florist who runs her own events floral design company called Lily and Liz, and her best friend, Maya Mathias, also a florist, who's an events coordinator for Paul Thomas Flowers. There will be an offshoot to this programme because they have a lot to share. But we start with the story of Hannah's tattoos, which is beautiful and poignant. I think I've now got nine or ten. Gosh, I can't even remember how many I have. Nine or ten. Um, you sort of forget what order they all came in because they've been there for so long on your body. Um, but one of the ones, I mean, there's, I have one in memory of my mum on my arm, which is three flowers, a freesia, gypsophila and a lisianthus in a kind of like intertwined small bunch around the word joy, which holds a lot of special meaning to me. I also have a twig of blossom up my sort of spine on my back, my upper back, which was her, what she used to call me. So she used to call me blossom all the time. So I got that as well for her. Um, I think those are probably the two that hold like the most meaning. I also have, oh, on my inner ankle, this is actually probably one of my earlier ones. On my inner ankle, I have a very small dandelion seed a lot of people think it's a palm tree. <laughs> I get that a lot because it's so old now. Um, it's not necessarily in the greatest condition that it was when I first got it. But I, mean, I got that when I left uni. When I finished uni after four years and I was leaving the nest, as it were, I kind of felt like the best thing that represented that for me was a dandelion seed leading, leaving the head on a, on a gust of wind to wherever I ended up at the time. Um, and it's interesting now how that holds a lot more meaning in reverse, like thinking back to it. Because um, now I feel like I get, like at the time, a dandelion thing, considering what I was doing with my life, felt very odd. And uh, But I obviously was really drawn to nature even then, um, even though I didn't realise I was going to be a florist until four years after that time, which I think is interesting. It is interesting and it's a beautiful image. I love that mm. image just being blown to the wind. It's yeah. beautiful. So tell me a little bit about your mum and the, mm. and the reason for those very, very beautiful tattoos on your <laughs> arm and your back. Thank you. Yeah, my mum... So my mum was a biologist through and through. Um, she, I've always known her to be a biologist. She was a biology teacher for, I think in the end, like 27 years taught at the same school for most of that time, if not all of it, um, which is the Abbey School in Reading. And uh, she was always about nature. We would always go on walks and she'd point out stuff to me. 
whether it was bugs or more likely to be plants, um, and would always be like, you could eat that if it was, but please don't, small children. Um, and uh, and we used, you know, days out with me and my brother, my younger brother, we'd always go to Kew Gardens, Savile Gardens, places like that. We'd go on long walks, my family big on walks, which is when she could show off what she knew about our environment and stuff. Um, she always identified as a teacher, she always identified as someone who really encouraged learning and loved it. Um, and science was like her bag. Like she found what she wanted to do very early on. Yeah, and she was a great woman. Uh, she unfortunately passed away when I was 23 on Christmas Eve 2015. Um, and after a long and complicated illness history. Um, but her passing away was definitely one of the things that made me decide to become a florist when I did um, and really take the leap. And um, and it was a dream I'd actually never conversed with her about, weirdly. But I'd always been very interested in flowers and that all stems from... Stems, sorry, pun. Uh, that stems from her being my mother. Um, and yeah, and she's great. Um, she was great. She is great. Um, and so, yeah, so when... Uh, so. I actually got this tattoo in sort of two parts. I had the word joy on my arm for quite a long time. Something that she always instilled in me was always choosing to find the good in lots of situations, choosing to be kind to other people. That was something that she very much instilled in me. And um, and so like in most situations, even when stuff is really awful and sad and hard as life is, um, she was always like find the joy in every day find the bits of your life that are good um, and try and remember that even though times are really tough and you might not always be happy, just try and find a small nugget of joy. So I got that done way before. And then it was actually during my um, floristry course, which I did in 2017. So I'll have been a florist seven years this year, which is crazy, where I met my best friend and loads of amazing stuff happened on that journey. I got it done, I think about halfway through my best friend Maya is a uh, amazing florist, but we met on day one of our floristry course where we both had the same backpack and we were like, oh, sat down awkwardly next to each other in the class kind of thing. And we realized we had the same backpack and then we were like, well, we're gonna have to be friends or this is just gonna be awkward. And now she is my best friend in the world. I love her to pieces, but she knew a lot about the Victorian language of flowers, which is floriography. Um, and during our floristry days, we'd often talk about it and talk about in length what stuff meant that we were working with she just knew so much and so when I said I wanted to get this is before I had the blossom tattoo on my back this is one of my I think one of my first plant-based tattoos I said I'd really like to get something that uh <clears throat> that helped me remember my mum um and do something that meant something and she went why don't we incorporate both like, why don't we, what was her favourite flower? And I was like, oh, freesias were her favourite flower. And she went, oh, well, that means, you know, eternal bond. So that's, you know, that's a really nice thing to get anyway. And it's also her favourite flower. And then I said, and then she was like, well, what's your favourite flower? And at the time, it's not true anymore, but this is seven years ago. And I know more about flowers now. But uh, at the time, um, my favourite flower was Lysianthus. Um, and she went, oh, that's really appropriate too because it means, uh, it also means a lifelong bond between two people, um, as well as um, appreciation and confidence. And then she was like, oh, why don't we pick another flower that would like sit nicely in between them, you know, in the design. 
And then we sort of like looked at other flowers for a while and we batted ideas back and forth. And I, I kept being like, oh, I don't want that one tattooed on my arm though. Because if it's going to be on you forever, you have to kind of like it. So eventually we went with Gypsophila or Baby's Breath. That's more commonly known because that's a symbol of eternal love. And so it all seemed very appropriate, basically. Um, and uh, it's a really great one. And I wanted it around the word joy because my sense of joy definitely comes from uh, things that my mum instilled in me. So I'm really glad to have, it's one of my proudest tattoos. I have it on my uh, bicep, it, uh, on my bicep on my left arm, which is also the arm I hold bouquets in. And it's where I hold lots of the stuff I make in that arm. And so, yeah, um, it's very important to me and I love it a lot. And then also, actually, I didn't mention this tattoo earlier, but on the back of the same arm, so on the back of that arm, I have also a sprig of mimosa, the other thing about my mum is she was a huge feminist, a huge um, equal rights activist. She would go on marches all the time. She voted in every election, even when she was in the ICU at hospital and, you know, and even when she was like giving birth to me, she still got up and voted. That was, you know, definitely something that she's instilled with me, uh, women's rights. She went to Royal Holloway, which is obviously the birthplace of the suffragette movement and, um, and all of that kind of stuff. So I wanted a feminist tattoo, <laughs> me being me. And mimosa is the international flower for women. Um, it represents women in floriography, and it is also a really beautiful plant and flower. And so yeah, and that it's really poignant that it's on the other side of my arm to my uh, that tattoo for my mum, because it also reminds me of her, the other side of her, which was brave and confident and. Um, and yeah, and uh, amazing. And she stood up for so many women in her life. She really encouraged women. Um, yeah, she was a she was a force of nature, my mum. So it's really nice to have both of those on the same arm because they both represent me and her and who she was and our relationship. I think that is just beautiful. <laughs> it's so beautiful. And it feels like for you, it means you always have her incredibly close. Yeah, I think in my... I think in my life and the career I've now chosen, even though she didn't know me in this career at all, it's interesting how um, it's helped me cope with grieving a lot of the time. It's helped, like, after she passed away, had a year in flux of being like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. I don't know where I'm going in my life. Um, had a mad following year of, like, quitting my job, starting what I thought was my dream job, realising I hated that job, quitting that job, running away to Bali, and, like, all this stuff. Um, and, and and I really struggled with finding her, but also finding her too much in every day. When I became a florist, having still people buying stuff for their mums on Mother's Day, and, you know, and being around Frisias, obviously, all the time, which reminds me of her. People coming in, like, as a florist, you're often almost like an unpaid part-time therapist for people. And so having to listen to people's stories of grief or their stories of how much they miss their mum or, you know, oh, I want to send my daughter this thing because blah, blah. And realising I didn't have that was really tough. But as time's gone on, um, it's, it's really helped me both feel close to her and also honour her even though she didn't know this part of my life, which is interesting. It's it's all very, like, poignant and important, and it's I don't often sit and think about it, but it's so nice to have her, have her and the part of her life that she 
uh, I guess, planted in me, like this love for plants and flowers and people, because our job is so people-based on me all the time, but it also is so representative of my life. I think if you didn't know me, you'd see these tattoos and think, oh, it's because she's a florist, which is absolutely fine, and you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not incorrect by thinking that, but um, I know that it's honouring her as well as honouring me and the person she brought me up to be, who I now am. And I think it reminds me all the time that she would be very proud of me and where I am. And she would be very much my biggest cheerleader and she is my biggest cheerleader, even though she isn't physically here. Um, and so yeah, it's, it's, I wear all these tattoos with pride. Um, and yeah, it's very special. It's a lovely thing to be able to do as a creative person anyway, to be able to wear literally your heart on your sleeve. And it's such an honour, and so I love it. Yeah, I love them. My thanks to Hannah for sharing such a personal story. Floriography, the language of flowers, had been an important part of this story, and it seemed obvious that the person we should talk to about this was Maya, she of the same backpack, Hannah's best friend. I discovered Maya had always had a passion for flowers, which she managed to weave into her academic journey. I think if you want to do something enough, you make it like affect every part of your life until you can do that thing for real. So I was doing, you know, it was at uni, I was doing Spanish and Portuguese. All the while, since I was about five years old, I've only really cared about flowers. So in my final dissertation, I decided to make the entire thing about the meaning of flowers in the poetry of Federica Garcia Lorca. In doing so, I basically spent months and months redefining all of his poetry and plays, looking at the flowers he'd used and finding their meanings, which how which vary hugely across different cultures, but more his are more to do with Spanish and Arabic culture um, and I found a really really great congruent new meaning to everything it all actually made perfect sense and it was a really sort of exciting and worthwhile thing to do which to be honest when I started I was just doing it because I wanted to look at flowers and at the end of it I had a really crazy piece of work that no one had expected which is quite exciting. Because he had understood those the meanings behind those plants they had they've been chosen specifically yeah everything every plant in any piece of his work has a meaning of its own and can also be read if you know the meaning there are often nuances and other meanings in every scene or every verse that you wouldn't know if you didn't know the plant I love the fact that you came to that because of your own passion about plants and, and wanting to, to weave it in. I think that's yeah. just a, such a beautiful story in itself. <laughs> so let's go to the, the names of plants. And I know that, that Maya, you were very involved in Hannah's Tattoos, which is where this all started because I was admiring them and thinking they were beautifully <laughs> done. Tell me about the meanings of the flowers that you chose, but perhaps also tell us a little bit about where does the meaning of plants, how far back do we go? Where does this begin? Um, so you know? it's sort of two different things. So the meaning of like where Hannah's like tattoos are chosen, I think actually the base of her tattoos comes from her own like personal life and personal meanings. But what has just been really like strange, lovely, coincidental and serendipitous has been all of them have 
really, really, really applicable meanings actually in the language of flowers to the situation and to Hannah's life, which has been so, it was quite like a magical sort of process when she was getting them learning about all of that, which is nice. So Frisia has lots of meanings. I mean, it means joy primarily, but pink Frisia means maternal love, which I just think is incredible given like Hannah's life and what she's been through. And then what did we find out today about Blossom? Oh, I've got a cherry. Yeah, I've got a cherry blossom on my back, which was my mum's nickname for me. But cherry blossom actually stands for education. And my mother was a teacher, which I think yeah. is amazing. And I actually don't think I, I got it because that was her nickname for me. But we, me and I were chatting earlier today in like prep for this about some of the ones I had. And, and we found that one. And we just thought it was so wonderful. Not only like her job and what she did but also maybe like her wish for me was to always be learning which I definitely yeah. am so that you know that's amazing the you saying the freesias mean joy I have it around the word joy on my arm yeah I got um, a dandelion seed on my ankle when I left uni and that actually just it stands for like ongoing journey and stuff like that which is really good um I've got a fern as well on my inner ankle that stands for strength and I definitely got it at a time in my life where I needed that you know there's all that kind of stuff and 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 yeah it's amazing so Maya what have you got what have you got plant tattoos as well um I do yeah I mean it's I guess I guess flower tattoos and a florist isn't like reinventing the wheel Um, (laughs) I just really like flowers Um, but it's I've got yeah so I've got an iris um which it means uh, good news um, or I have good news for you or like positive messages. And like my sort of Instagram and my company name when I was running my own business was called Lirio London. And Lirio is Irish in Spanish and is also used a lot in Garcia Lorca's poetry. Um, And I just thought for a flower company, that's what flowers are. They bring good messages. They're saying they have news. What a good name. So I've got the iris. I've got a poppy, which is primarily it means sleep, which is something I do a lot. But it also means it also means like inspiration and it means sort of like dreaminess uh, and imagination, which are things that I kind of hold quite highly. That one's my biggest tattoo and I love it. I've got lavender for serenity, calmness, and also it was my grandma's favorite thing ever. So that's really nice. Um, I love that they have meaning like this. It's so beautiful. You know, I think I'll be stopping other people with tattoos and going, can you, can you just explain the meaning on those tattoos, please? What are those plants representing? Yeah. Imagine. It'd be great if more people knew. It'd be great yeah. if more people knew, but I wonder actually if that might actually do some damage to some people if they got, you know, uh, as well as all the good things that flowers can stand for. There are definitely some in the... Bad side. There yeah. are some that don't necessarily mean the nicest things. So, um, you know. Uh, so obviously... maybe now is the time to reveal some of those to us. I mean, maybe we should know this. Yes. So <laughs> I um, So when I first started, like, really learning about all the meanings in practice, I realized that one of the most popular things that like people like to buy their girlfriends lovers whatever and wedding flowers was yellow roses um which actually indeed mean infidelity Uh, (laughs) and um also people do love a sunflower which I love too but if you are going to look into the meanings they mean false riches so 
unfortunately they both go together quite nicely so a yellow rose and sunflower wedding is like probably not what you want what you want to get but if people are sat on it I'm not going to tell them because you don't want to ruin someone's big day. You don't like if someone comes to you and they're like, oh, I love yellow roses and I love this. I'm not going to ruin the wedding flowers they've been planning since they were eight by telling them that because it doesn't, you know, it means something to us. But it, it, it shouldn't. Yeah, I don't think it should ever be taken in a bad way. Where do those meanings come from and, and would you have a different meaning if we were say I don't know another part of the world 100% would there be a totally different meaning as well yeah so the I mean the history behind them is really really interesting it comes from the harems in Morocco so the concubines used to communicate with each other and they'd put flowers in boxes and have them delivered to the other concubines. But back then, it was just the, the it was rhyming. So what the flower was, the message would rhyme with the flower or with the colour of the flower. Then the French came to Morocco, and they saw this, loved this idea, and interpreted it for French court. So they changed it and gave all the flowers actual meanings. And then, you know, Victorian court, court holds of... The French court, which is, I mean, happens all the time. A tale as old as time. Um, the fashion came over into magazines and the Victorians really went with it. They really like took it, took hold and just went with it and all sorts of paintings around it. So much culture around the meaning of flowers because it's a very easy way to express yourself and your love without actually saying things out loud, you know. In different parts of the world, different things have different meanings. And in like other countries where symbolism is still really important, um, like China, for instance, things like the chrysanthemum are really, really important and they have different meanings. Some mean things like home, some mean wealth. And yeah, in other cultures, the symbolism is vitally important. It's more just in the West that it's sort of fallen out of knowledge if you ever search this on the internet you might find seven different answers for each flower because things had to change over time mainly as well because for instance florists could get their hands on yellow roses for a long time so they had to re rebrand them as it were <laughs> rebrand them into something that would sell for people and i think um that's happened um, a lot over the years with loads of different things and that's probably still why flowers come in and out of fashion all the time 10 years ago, no one would be buying a ranunculus. Barely anyone would really love peonies. But now they are everywhere. Everything. <laughs> Everything for, you know, between April and July, all you sell is peonies. It's like all anyone wants. I don't think when I started the floristry, they were that big a deal. And now they are, or anyone talks about all through the year, whenever a guy comes in, you know, comes into a store, he will immediately go, do you have peonies? Because he knows they're his girlfriend's favourite and he has no idea when they're available. Do you want to know some of the meanings of peonies while we're at it. I'd love to know the meanings of peonies. I'd love to, yes. <laughs> so they've got quite a few meanings. Well, I'll choose the best ones. Um, so they are an aphrodisiac. They mean beauty. They mean omen of good fortune and good marriage, romance and unrealised desires. Take from that what you will. So un- untangle that. <laughs> I mean everything and everything. <laughs> I loved talking to Hannah and Maya, and we will hear from them again later in the series as an offshoot, because they were fascinating on the subject of being florists and what the job involves. 
I'd like us to leave this podcast having learned to grow the plant or flower. And this week, it had to be Hannah's mum's favourite flower, a freesia. When I began to research freesia growers, I found myself phoning people in Guernsey. Once 90% of the UK's freesias came from there, but cheaper imports from all over the world of all kinds of flowers meant the business of flower growing became less viable and many businesses closed. I don't think I had fully appreciated how growing commercially, of course, means you really have to work out how to get that crop to flower more than once. So this is a great lesson in what a freesia corm needs, both to form the roots and the plant and then the flower and how a commercial grower can engineer that. Which means next time I plant a freesia, I will have a much better understanding of what is going on with that plant. So my thanks to Paul DeMail of Classic Flowers Guernsey for his patience in explaining the process. Paul's first career was as a commercial diver, working all over the world. But the time came that he wanted to move back to Guernsey. We had a big growing industry in those days over here with a... Um, horticultural advisory station with lots of advisors and lots of experiments and things and I got some advice from them and I started off growing freezes which I was told was the easiest crop um, uh, and the rest is history I suppose. Were there any growers in your background in your family had your parents been growers gardeners? No no I mean yeah my, my, my father was a keen gardener my grandfather was a very keen gardener um, but no, no, no commercial growers. My father had a bicycle shop, which he ran with his father, which he started off in 1929, I think, um, and retired shortly before I, um, I, I went into growing. So tell me about freesias. Where do they come from? Right. Well, freesias are a native plant of South Africa. They're a winter flowering plant in, in their native habitat. And the bulbs basically need a period of heat treatment to break the dormancy to produce shoots to grow. We try and grow freezes all year round, but it's not so easy now. We used to have things like soil cooling and heating, where we could control the temperature of the ground and control the flower initiation. But it's too expensive to run that now. But we do we treat our freezy corms. They're dug, cleaned, and they go into a heat store at um, 28 degrees and 90% humidity for three months and they're ready to plant and generally when they're ready to plant you'll see the the root initials forming on the on the bowl or on the corn but the ones we've got now are drying before they're cleaned and dipped into um, a fungicide solution to prevent any problems in the heat store because it's a prime breeding ground for fungus they'll go in for treatment for three months probably in a couple of weeks time um, which will be, be mid-May and they'll be planted um, mid-August through till probably September, October. Uh, and that should produce our main crop, which is be for Mother's Day next year. How long between planting time and flowering time then? Well, that varies. Um, if you plant in, in December, January when it's cold, uh, because a freezer to form a flower, the ambient temperature has to average below 16 degrees. And that's not a problem in the winter. So they'll flower very quickly. For instance, a, a, a one planted in January will probably be in flower by uh, end of March, early April. But it will be a very small plant, short plant with low productivity. And that's why in the old days when you could afford it, you, you had pipes in the ground which you circulated hot water through to keep that temperature higher 
to make them grow before the, the flower initiated. So in the winter, you would keep the hot water on and for, for three months so that the, the temperature is too high for the flower shoot to initiate inside the leaf sheath. Uh, and then you'd reduce the temperature. In the summer, you'd do the opposite. You'd leave them in for three to four months. They'd grow naturally quite well. Then you'd put the cold water through it, which would reduce the temperature to below 16 degrees. And that would make the flower shoot um, form. So you could actually plan a crop of freezes or to freezer production throughout the year. So that becomes expensive. Is that the bottom line, basically? Because you've got to be running this hot water through the soil in order to keep a year-long crop going? Yes. I mean, the returns that we were getting in the, the early 2000s were just not keeping up with, within, with costs. And uh, it got to a point where a lot of freezer growers packed up. They were probably getting less per bunch or per stem than they were 10 or 15 years before. So they retired and... and those that were left had to sort of adapt, um, and I think we're probably the last. I think there's one other small freezy grower. We're, we're, we're the, the last, certainly the largest now, but a lot smaller than we were. We've done it by adapting, by going into the postal flower business. So we, we send um, flowers by post, and we also grow a lot of other flowers. I think we grow something like 30-odd varieties of perennials and annuals, which we sell locally. If somebody wanted to grow a freesia, what would your advice be? Right. Well, you, you really need to find out whether your freesia corm has been had its heat treatment or not. If it's been heat treated, you can, you can plant it in the ground, preferably in the greenhouse, but they will grow in a garden. You might have sort of more problems the further north you go, but certainly in the south of England, there's not a problem. If they haven't been heat treated, you can keep them somewhere warm. They don't need light. They can be in the dark, keep them in an airing cupboard or something for two or three months and then bring them out and plant them um, in the early spring, I suppose. You know, wait, certainly wait if they're outside, wait till any frosts have passed and plant them in sort of um, March, early April. And it should be cool enough for them to form flowers and you should have flowers by the summer. And any particular varieties that you like that you would recommend? Oh, gosh, I don't know what you can actually buy these days. I know, I think I did see you can buy the old Royal Crown seed, which would be a great one if you can get it, because that is the one of the early ones, which has got a lovely scent to it, a lovely perfume. But I think a lot of the others would just be sold as freezer corns, mixed freezer corns. Unfortunately, they have bred the scent out of freezes. All, all the breeding's done in Holland, but they've gone for production and quality. And the freezes that we used to grow when I started which were really grown from seed, had a, had a wonderful scent, which is probably what people remember freezes for. We used to walk into the greenhouse in the morning and if you had any open flowers, you could, it would knock you out. You know, it was a lovely smell. But unfortunately, the very few of the modern varieties have got, um, got a lot of scent. In terms of in my garden or in my pot, what aspect do they like? Do they want a sunny aspect, shade? What, what's the recommendation? I, well, sun, yeah, sun. I mean, they, they'd probably grow anywhere, but I'm sure they would grow better in the sun. If you've planted them and it's a bit late and it's getting a bit hot, if you can find a cooler location for them, just to make sure that you get that flower initiation, flower bud initiation, you know, that if you've planted them in maybe late April, May, and the, t and the weather's warm, 
it may be just a little bit warm, so if you can find somewhere sort of out of direct sunlight so that it keeps the temperature on the plant lower, it'll help that flower to, to form inside the bowl. Is there a danger that you'll end up with a lot of leaf and no flower if you plant them too late and it's too warm? It's a possibility. But, I mean, don't worry. If, if that happens, just, just try and you might need some sort of crop support. And we have had them sort of five feet tall in the greenhouse. I don't think they grow that tall outside in the UK. But uh, um, don't, don't lose hope. Um, let them grow and let the, the, the leaves die back. And next year they'll go to the natural season and you will have flowers on them. I love that. Don't lose hope. Perhaps you have a plant story that you would like to share. You can email me at sally at ourplantstories.com. If this is your first episode, do check out the others. We recently featured in The Guardian's weekly podcasting newsletter under the Why Not Try section, described as charming green-fingered tales. Our Plant Stories is presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman.